sometimes they become stuck in asking that question, why me? Why me? And I think that that question can inevitably lead to the answer, because I'm not worth much. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened to me. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Glamour Magazine said 97% of women have cruel thoughts about themselves every day, sometimes 13 times on an average. The question was raised as my conscience fell, a silly little lie. It didn't mean much, but it lingers still in the corners of my mind. Still you call me to walk on the edge of this world To spread my dreams and fly But the future's so far, my heart is so frail Welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Hi, this is Dr. Tim Clinton, your host and president of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Today, we're going to talk about self-esteem, self-worth. We're going to dial it in on women in particular. Yes, Glamour Magazine, catch this, said 97% of women have cruel thoughts about themselves every day, 13 times on an average. Seven in 10 girls don't believe that they're good enough in some way, in their looks, performance, their relationships, and more. What's the fruit of all of it? A bunch of craziness, insanity, trying to base our value and worth on what we do and what others think about us. Our special guest today is Steve Wright. He's a licensed clinical professional counselor and is director of continuing care of the partial hospitalization program at Timberline Knowles in Chicago, Illinois. His team includes therapists, counselors, nurses, dietitians, other behavioral health specialists, and helping women in a residential program overcome the challenges of everyday life from a Christ-centered perspective. Steve has more than 25 years of experience as a pastor and in working with youth, families, and more. Steve, thanks for stopping by Life, Love, and Family. Thank you, Tim. It's really good to be here. I was kind of shocked with Glamour Magazine's statement about 97% of women having cruel thoughts about themselves every day. What are your thoughts? Do you think it's true? I do. In the work that we do here, I encounter a large number of individuals who encounter that sense of low value for self, and it impacts their lives on a daily basis. I read clinical material in approving people coming in, and so often I see that as a recurring issue in people's lives, and it affects them. It affects their relationships. It affects their perceptions of the world around them, and it is just one of the things that we see all the time. You know, Steve, growing up, I think part of just being a teenager is trying to figure out who I am, how do I fit in, what's my place in this world, and we struggle with, you know, maybe that zit on the tip of our nose or something, but there's a lot about who we are that, by the way, gets shaped or formed in the context of relationships, especially those closest to us. 
and if there's pain or if there are a lot of relationship wounds or what have you that goes on, people do begin to have or they develop a poor view of themselves and a poor view of others in their life. And that does carry with us, doesn't it? And then add on top of it, society and the craziness of you can't be too rich or too thin and you're always competing against everyone else. And that's a tough world to live in. Oh, absolutely. Um, You mentioned society. There are so many societal pressures on women and girls these days in their appearance and the expectations that they have. One of the things that I also observe very often is with the women that we treat and that are coming through our doors, that there's a tremendous amount of trauma in their lives, bullying, or it might be as severe as as abuse, sexual and uh, physical and emotional abuse, very often by parents, step-parents, people that they knew. We see rape as a trauma that people experience. And each of those things, as you look at them, really has such a powerful impact on how a person views themselves. And they begin to struggle with some of that. And the conversation, internal conversation, tends to be, I must not be worth anything because this happened to me. And for some blaming others for the offense toward them, they, they tend to blame themselves. Sometimes they become stuck in asking that question, why me? Why me? And I think that that question can inevitably lead to the answer, because I'm not worth much. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened to me. And for some, they even, I think, sometimes see that God is someone who doesn't value them. And I I think a lot of times the thoughts in their mind is, uh, well, God could have protected me, or God could have prevented this, and he didn't. I must not be worth much to him either. Or, based on what I've done, or if God knows me intimately, how could he love me? And so I carry all this baggage or this weight around, and it overwhelms me. Uh, Steve, I want to go back to a statistic I just saw here about young girls. It says, 7 in 10 girls believe that they're not good enough or that they don't measure up in some way. And it goes on to say this, that 78% of girls with low self-esteem admit that it's hard to feel good in school when you don't feel good about how you look. Steve, this is where you live every day. You deal with women who continue to carry this through their adult life. 75% of girls with low self-esteem report engaging in negative activities such as disordered eating, cutting, bullying, smoking, drinking, especially when they feel bad about themselves compared to those who have higher self-esteem. This self-esteem piece is a big deal. It is a very big deal. And a lot of times the behaviors become this cycle of feeling bad about themselves and reinforcing that picture of I don't have value. I feel badly about myself because I'm engaging in these But on the reverse side, I'm engaging in these because I feel bad about myself. And so this cycle of these behaviors that they do just continues in this downward spiral for them. Steve, I've often heard it said that self-esteem or self-worth is really a, a thinking disorder. It's when I think I'm inadequate or unworthy or unlovable or incompetent. Do you agree with that? Right. Oh, I absolutely do. One of the things that I think I've observed as I've worked with women in trying to address some of this idea of do I have value is that in their thought processes, they tend to create this proof of the fact that they don't have value. 
And what I mean by that is this. Let's say that I believe in my heart that I am valueless. I don't have value. Because I believe that, and I'm engaging in relationships with people, I have acquaintances, a person in my life might say to me, hey, thank you for doing that. That was very kind of you. Or I really appreciate your thought on this. Or, you know, I think you're a great guy. I think you're a great person. Those types of statements that are made contradict that core belief that I am without value. And so then I'm faced with a decision. Which way am I going to go with that? Am I going to believe what these people are telling me? Or am I going to hold on to what I believe about myself? If I hold on to that belief that I am without value, then I have to interpret what I'm hearing in a way that makes sense to me. Because we, we ultimately, we always try to make sense of what we're hearing. And so a young woman, perhaps, that is hearing, hey, I think you're so pretty, or I think you're so smart, or I think you're so amazing, and you're kind, or whatever. And that young woman has that core belief that I am without value. Then they're going to interpret what they're hearing in some various ways. They might interpret it as, well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that, because that's not true. Another way would be that comes across as flattery to me, and that means that you're trying to manipulate me. What are you trying to get out of me? Otherwise, you wouldn't be saying that to me. Or they might interpret it with someone who might be in a close relationship with them. Well, you're only saying that because you have to, because you're my boyfriend or you're my mom or my dad or you're my teacher. They can dismiss it in that way. What they're doing is they're rejecting those comments. And when a person rejects something, they have an affect. They have a kind of a nonverbal as well as a verbal way of dismissing those things. And it's a rejecting type of thing that they do. Maybe it's a behavior. Maybe it's what they say. When we feel rejection from someone, we react. This person is rejecting what I'm saying, and in a sense, I feel like I'm being rejected, so I guess I'll back off, or maybe I'll get frustrated and I'll express my frustration, or maybe I'll feel hurt and I'll express my hurt. What then happens is that person who has that low value sees people in their life pulling away from them, being frustrated with them, and so what they have, in essence, done is prove to themselves that they're not worth anything. Because if I was worth something, this person wouldn't be rejecting me or they wouldn't be pulling away from me. The scenario continues to reinforce itself over and over and over again to the point where that core belief becomes more and more entrenched in their thinking and in their lives. I am not worth anything because of this, 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 and this, and how this person treated me, and how this person pulled away from me, and how this person was hurt by something that they thought I said or did. It becomes truly a way of life when you've been put down most of your life, say by your dad or your mom. Growing up, it was tough. You didn't get picked first. You got picked last. Uh, Say you struggle with your body, maybe you wrestled with acne or uh, your body just 
isn't something that you're proud of or what have you, and maybe you, you haven't hit your benchmarks or your expectations, your dreams in life. It's pretty easy to swallow all that and get lost in that self-pity. It's easy also to develop protective ways of coping and dealing with life so that I don't take any more blows because I can't take any more blows. I don't want any more blows. I'm thinking, Steve, that there are times in all this that it's easy then to maybe become critical of others. You maybe uh, show some irritability. Uh, There are different things that begin to surface out of this stuff that's boiling up inside of you, uh, and you act out what you haven't worked out. Exactly. In addition to that, people begin to develop behaviors that become very self-destructive but tend to work toward not feeling emotions at all. That's where we see people falling into patterns of an eating disorder where I feel bad about my body, therefore I'm going to engage in this and to try to feel better about myself, or engaging in self-harm as a way to numb myself, to not have to feel. Not give yourself to self-care. Let yourself go, and you just hide behind it. It's almost like self-punishment. You don't even acknowledge it as that, but that's what you're doing to yourself. I absolutely agree with that. Substance abuse is another means to try to avoid feeling. And and the thing that I want to also kind of reinforce is that a lot of this thought process has a source, um, has a beginning. And a lot of that beginning is, as I said earlier, is in the traumas, the, the bullying or the abuse that people have received. So there's a good reason why I'm questioning some of these things to just kind of normalize that for our audience to understand that, yeah, a lot of bad things have happened, perhaps, and a lot of struggles have happened in your life, and it makes sense that you feel this way and that you think this way. I think it's good for us to kind of address that and understand that there is a backstory to this and how this affects us, this low value, this low self-esteem is something that once it starts, it can become self-perpetuating. Let me go back to that statistic. 75% of girls with low self-esteem reported engaging in negative activities such as disordered eating, cutting, bullying, smoking, drinking, and more. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about this. Our special guest again today has been Steve Wright. He's a licensed clinical professional counselor, director of continuing care at Timberline Knowles, good friends of ours, focusing on helping women with the challenges of everyday life, offering a safe place. Steve, can you take a moment and just tell us a little bit about Timberline Knowles and the work you're doing there? I know I've referred and recommended numerous women to go through those programs. Timberline Knowles is first a 160-bed residential treatment facility, and we work solely with women. We provide co-occurring treatment for individuals who may have eating disorders, substance abuse disorders, mood disorders, PTSD issues related to trauma, just about anything we will help a person with and multiple issues at the same time. We are also a partial hospitalization program. Our residential program feeds into our partial program where we do basically the same thing at that lower level of care where individuals who may have come through our program have reached a level of independence that they can now step to a 
lower level of care where they can enter into the partial program, and that's the one that I direct. And we do the same thing, co-occurring disorders. Uh, Whatever a person is struggling with, we want to be able to help. Steve, let's go back to self-esteem and uh, God, our relationship with Him. I think Paul wrote in Romans, he said, you ought to be careful to think soberly about yourself, to think absolutely honestly about yourself. What do you think God is challenging us to think and believe about ourselves in light of who he is? One of the things that I try to do with our residents when we're talking about is to help them understand that however they got there, that value, that sense of low value that they have is an opinion that they developed. It's not necessarily a fact. And if I can get them to that place, it seems to begin that process of questioning, well, maybe I am not as invaluable as I thought. Now, as we look at Christianity and what a relationship with Christ does, that to me is one of the strongest ways that a person can experience a change in thinking about themselves. Because what we see in the gospel is the fact that Christ died for us. He gave himself for us. He saw so much value in us that he sacrificed himself so that we could be in relationship with him. Hey, Steve, can I stop you right there, too, for a second? I remember coming through grad school and going through a lot of lectures on this, but it's one thing to learn about it. It's another thing to internalize it. And to say, you know what, Tim, what Steve just said is true about you. God actually loves you, period. Why is it so hard for us to believe that God loves us? I I think virtually every man I've ever met doesn't believe that God loves him. I think you could say that, obviously, about a majority of women. Certainly the women you see, Steve, they don't believe God loves them. Right, right. I think that there are multiple reasons for that. I think a big one as I've observed things, is that we are so caught up in the idea that I have to perform and be good enough to be loved. And a lot of the experiences that people have in relationships really reinforce that, that I have to be good enough or this person will leave me. And so we have this paradigm of I have to be good enough. And when we realize in ourselves that, wow, I'm not good enough, how could God love me? That picture just gets translated into that relationship with God. And it's so hard for us, I think, to understand how powerful and wonderful and deep is God's love for us because of that strong paradigm that we have. You are so much more than you can imagine to God. Yeah. Yeah, I heard somebody say this, Steve. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. Right. And again, God, how do I get my hands around that? Because when I look inside or when I look in the the world around me, you're right. If I base my self-worth and value on what I do and what others think of me, I'm in trouble. Yes. I think one of the other things that has helped me in kind of reframing this for people who are struggling with is to understand that God is our parent. God loves us as a parent loves a child. I have worked with a lot of parents, and that tends to really kind of cause the lights to go on sometimes. When we begin to compare, well, God loves me like I love my child, well, that makes sense to me. 
I, I could never not love my child. It didn't matter what they would do. I would still care about them and love them and want the best for them. And when we translate that into the metaphor, the understanding of how God relates to us makes more sense. Steve, what else do we do to um, break free out of this prison that overwhelms us? I mean, what's the gift that you're giving to these women who come to you for these inpatient-type programs? For me, the big thing is just helping them actually recognize that this is going on, recognize that, wow, maybe my opinion of myself is playing a role in my difficult relationships and in the continuation of these negative behaviors that I have. Mm And maybe if I begin to kind of create a different narrative for myself and I base it on what I'm reading in Scripture or I base it on the fact that the world has some cruel elements in it but is not cruel in and of itself, that I have some hope and that God who loves me sees me and maybe I need to take on his opinion of me rather than my own opinion of me. And then when a woman earnestly begins to do that and begins to see that I have value and I'm going to tell myself that I have value, then we see some of those patterns begin to break down. It's also about learning to understand your own gifts and strengths. Exactly. Who am I and what has God blessed me with and get myself into my sweet spot, if you will, and enjoy that giftedness because God has given each and every one of us special gifts, even if it's journeying through pain and God give me an awareness thing like you're talking about here, the aha experience, and I can give that to someone else. When I'm in my gifts, and by the way, when I realize that God wants to work through me to influence someone else, when I begin to give myself away, not because I need I'm insanely crazy about getting affection, but rather I realize that I'm a tool. God wants to do that in and through my life. When I give myself, the message that comes back is that I have value. Right. In my journey, I have had the privilege of observing over many years the development of people and growing in their spiritual lives. And one of the things that I have found very remarkable is that arc of growth and what that looks like. We begin that process by being very kind of self-oriented and egocentric, thinking about ourselves. We don't have the capacity to think about anybody else. But as we begin to make that journey, what we begin to find is that the outcome of spiritual maturity is an altruistic perspective where I'm not worried about myself. I feel good about myself, but I'm not worried about myself. And I have the capacity to benefit others in a world that needs help. I have a place in this world, and God gives me the gifts and the talents and the wherewithal to make a difference in other people's lives. And sometimes it's because of the things that I've been through and the things that I've overcome that God uses me to touch other people's lives that idea of the wounded healer, where I've been through this, and I'm on the other side of this, and let me help you get through this as well. Steve, we're out of time, and I wanted to give you just the last word. Speak to our listeners out there who could just use a word of final encouragement, the final word. I would just say to the women who are listening, and even the men who are listening, it makes sense 
some of the hurts that you may have been through and why you think the way you do. But you have value. You have value. God has made you wonderfully, and that value is something that you can embrace and hang on to and use to help move your life forward. She is running a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction. She is trying, but the canyon's ever widening in the depths of her cold heart. So she sets out on another misadventure just to find. She's another two years older and she's three more steps behind. Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? Or does anybody even know she's going down today? Under the shadow of our steeple With all the lost and lonely people Searching for the hope that's tucked away in you and me Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? She never found it home And she is searching For a hero to ride in To ride in and save the day And in walks her Prince Charming And he knows just what to say Momentary lapse of reason And she gives herself away First John 3.1 says it this way, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we, you and I, should be called the sons and daughters of God. You know, you're God's daughter. He loves you with an everlasting love. Maybe he just wanted to tell you today that you're on his heart, you're on his mind. You may be going through deep waters. Things might be really difficult in your relationships, maybe your finances and more, but he's in the midst of it. He loves you. Our special guest again today has been Steve Wright. He's a licensed clinical professional counselor. He's a pastor. He's also director of continuing care for the partial hospitalization program at Timberline Knowles. It, by the way, is a treatment facility for women from a Christ-centered perspective. They're offering hope every day. They're good friends of ours. If you or someone you love needs help, I'd encourage you to look into their programs. Psalm 45, verses 10 and following just simply says this about you as a woman. The king's daughter is all glorious within. You are enthralled with his beauty. I hope you keep that thought. By the way, stay close to us. You can learn more about us at lifeloveandfamily.net. That's lifeloveandfamily.net. Our toll-free number, 855-455-3264. 855-455-3264. Life, love, and family. 
America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake Clinic, specializing in addiction, depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, staffed by nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists, a team of MDs and 24-hour nursing care, a 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty, Honey Lake Clinic, most insurance accepted, scholarships available, phone 844-747-7772, online, honeylake.clinic. Women in Depression, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women addicted to alcohol or drugs, get confidential help. 1-877-257-9612. Women with anxiety or eating disorders, trauma, and PTSD, get confidential help. Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center. 1-877-257-9612 or timberlineknowles.com.